Yes, Lord, we can't live without you. No matter what takes place in life, we cannot live without you and your presence and your power in our life. So we just come before you, Lord, right now. We just humble ourselves and we just say, Lord, we love you and we thank you that you said you'd never leave us nor forsake us. That, Lord, you'd always be in our life. You'd always be right there with us, leading us, guiding us, directing us. You gave us the Holy Spirit. Lord God, to be with us. And we stand here tonight and we worship you, Lord. We praise you. Brother, I thank you that tonight, I just believe that you begin to walk into people's rooms. You just begin to walk into their lives. Those that are desperate, those that are hurting, those that are needing, needing you, Lord, in a great way. I thank you for, Lord, walking right in the midst of their darkness and just like the light switch flips on. I believe you for miracles. I know you're a God of miracles. I know you're a God who walks into the room and things change. So, Lord, we just pray tonight, Lord, that you would walk in the midst of rooms. And that lives would be forever changed. Lives would be forever changed. And I praise you for it, Lord, tonight. Now, come on, reach over to that person beside you and start blessing them and praying for them. Ask God to minister to them right now. Lord, just bless it right there in your home. Begin to pray for one another. Let Jesus walk right in the midst of your life. Let him walk right in the middle of your situation. Lord, I just thank you. You're such an amazing, amazing, amazing God. Lord, we don't have to beg you. We don't have to do works. You just love us. And you just want to walk right in the middle of our situation in life. So, Lord, I thank you for it. I praise you for it, Lord. I praise you for it, Lord. Just blessing people tonight. Blessing them more than they can even imagine. Or ever even hope for. Because that's the kind of God you are. So, Lord, no matter where they are, no matter what's going on, I just thank you, God, you got them. And you're blessing them right now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. I turn to that person around you and say, man, you know, God's got you. Just tell him, God's got you, man. Don't you know it? Mm-mm-mm. Praise God. Well, I want to share a word with you tonight that I pray is as exciting, that you'll be as excited about it as I am. I like it. And so uh, get your Bibles out. Go back into the Old Testament, the book of Exodus chapter 12. Title of this message tonight is Worthy as a Lamb. Worthy as a Lamb. I've just been, after all this message, I've been preaching about the mighty works of God, the mighty uh, weapons that he gives us, and, and uh, you know, the living word, the blood, and the Holy Ghost, and uh, Brother Ivan's coming in here, be here Sunday, don't forget that. Make sure and bring a guest, invite somebody, and, uh, and uh, 
let the Holy Ghost have them. And, um, but I've got some other things that I want to share, you know, because then he's going to come in here and then everything's going to get up and then, you know. And so then, you know, who, who knows where we'll go from there. So I got some more things I want to add into this. Talking about the blood of the Lamb. And uh, so I want to read this. I'm, I'm in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of your months. In other words, it's, it's the beginning of life. It's the starting of your life. I can say that I have two lives. I've lived two lives. I lived my life before I knew Jesus, and then when I got saved, then my life changed and I was somebody else. So I've got to live two lives. All right. So he said, this is the beginning of your months. It's a new life. It should be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, and a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbors next to his house take it according to the numbers of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep and from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood of the, and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house, and they shall eat at where they shall eat. And then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, with bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Now do not eat it raw or boiled at all with water, but roasted with fire, its head, its legs, its entrails, you shall have, none of it shall remain until the morning, and whatever, and, and whatever remains until morning, you shall burn it with fire. Thus you shall eat it with your belt on and your waist, your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Okay, so the whole reason why this is taking place, right, was because all the plagues had taken place in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh still wouldn't let the people go. He said, I'm going to do this one last thing. I'm going to pass over the land. And the firstborn in all households, the firstborn of everything, of every living thing in Egypt, animal and person, was going to die, right? So we talked all about this, but I just want to bring to your attention this, this moment, this, this, I mean, my gosh, I, I can't imagine what it would be like to be sitting in the house, you know, you're sitting there with your staff, and you got it, and you got the blood on the door, and then... You know, the, the death angels passing through. You hear the cries in Egypt. You hear what's going on. I mean, you would know it. You know, you talk about feeling the presence of God. Just imagine what the death angel feels like as he walks down the street and, and he's looking. And you're just praying the, the, the blood on the door is enough. That's what's going to keep him away. Everything's going to be okay, right? All right. It's a huge. <laughs> it's so many perspectives. It's huge, right? I mean. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, my mind just goes and I'm sitting there trying to imagine the whole situation and what it would be like. And, and I, I mean, you just wouldn't want to be looking out the window. And you wouldn't want to be messing around. And you'd want to make sure that you had plenty of blood over the doorpost of your house, right? But anyway, you know how it goes. The death angel goes through. It all happens just like God said. But everybody had the blood on their house was saved, right? The blood on their house, the blood on your life, okay? So this is the first example we see of this blood saving you. Okay? Okay, so now go to Isaiah 53, 7. Isaiah 53, 7. 
I really tonight, you know, I listen to, to different podcasts of people and stuff, and there's some guys out there, they're so smart. And when I listen to them, I mean, it really makes me feel like I don't know anything. And, 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 and it's not necessarily because I don't, it, it's the way they present it. But sometimes I'm sitting there, even as much as I know, I'm sitting there thinking, what are you saying? And trying to grasp it. Now, I don't want to be that kind of preacher, all right? I want to preach something to you that you can grab hold of, that you can soak into, that you can just sink your teeth into and say, oh, this is, I, I can see how this is going to work in my life. I can see how I can apply this. This is what I'm shooting for tonight, okay? And so I'm not trying to plow real deep, and I'm not trying to do, you know, like the, the total complete study of the Bible on the blood of Jesus. I'm just trying to bring some things home to you that you can get fixed in your mind. So here was the Passover. Passover, the, the, the blood kept the death angel out, right? Okay, so now you go to Isaiah 53. Look at verse 7. In Isaiah's great prophecy here in chapter 53 about Jesus, he says, And he was oppressed and was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before the shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And he who declared his generation, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Okay, so. So when Isaiah had prophesied this, I mean, when the, when the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, they had read this, they knew that Isaiah was prophet about the coming Messiah, right? And they knew that Passover was a type and shadow of what the Passover, the true Passover lamb, the Messiah was going to do. So they had this in theory. You with me? It was in theory. It wasn't a revelation to him. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, I mean, they were waiting for the Messiah to come and all, but it had just gotten to be over the years and years of going by, it, it was a, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't alive to him. It wasn't a revelation. That's all I got to say is it wasn't a revelation. They were living their lives by saying, oh, yes, we can see this and we can see this. And when you're a Christian, if you're living your life for Jesus like that and everything is theory to you and not revelation, we are never going to walk in victory because it's all theory. I was listening to this guy, and I really can't even say back what he was saying. Uh, but I got to simplify it to the, little, the simplest thing that I can say. And, and again, I'm not trying to prove points or do anything like this. I'm just simply preaching. 
And so he was talking about that the thing that holds the whole world together with this is words. That language is what is, is, is the basis for everything that we do, no matter what language it is, that you can always interpret and translate it into, into your language. But language is what holds all of us together. And that as, as, as we've developed and you look at it, the problem with language is, is that you don't know if someone's telling the truth. Because all of us are prone to lie. And so now you get in this thing that though words are being spoken, you don't know if those words are true, so therefore you have a hard time moving forward in life. And so he said this. I, 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 you know, I, don't, I didn't research it enough to see. But he said the oldest book is the Bible. And that it was the first book. And there were scrolls and things like this. But he said when the first book got to go, the Bible, what was it? It was when somebody received the Bible as sacred text, that it wasn't merely words, it was truth. It was the truth from the living God. Then all societies, all peoples everywhere, when you had a sacred document that you had in front of you, then all of a sudden that was the basis for words of truth. So you based everything off of it. And now our generations are going because they're trying to take it and they're trying to turn it. They're trying to twist it because what are they doing? They're trying to get to the sacred part because then you get down to the bottom line. You don't know if everybody's lying or not. But when you've got something you can throw into the middle and say, this is truth and we have to base everything off of it. Then everybody can then work and function because you have a place to go to that is truth. Right? Okay. So. They were looking at sacred texts. They were reading Isaiah. But I'm just always shocked. I sit and I read it and I, 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 I'm just saying, Lord, how could people be reading Isaiah, looking at Isaiah, knowing Isaiah 53, taking it, dissecting it, tearing it apart, looking at all this, yet the Lamb of God was standing right there in Jerusalem and they couldn't recognize it. But somebody did. Go to John chapter 1, verse 29. Gospel of John one twenty nine. Says the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending like a dove upon him and remained upon him, and it is not known, and I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified, this is the Son of God. So what was John saying? John was saying, when Jesus came walking up there and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He's talking about the Passover Lamb that was Declared in Isaiah 53 that was going to be the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the world. And he said, there he stands. And a certain amount of people ran to Jesus and said, Messiah. Others of them backed up and said, man, ain't that that kid from Nazareth and Carpenter's kid and Mary? And wasn't there something fishy about that? And 
strange about that whole wedding deal and whatever. Because, see, they didn't accept it. They didn't bring it in as faith. They didn't hear the word of God and mix the word of God with faith and then bring it into their lives. It's amazing to me that inside of this, this Bible, and I had one for years. When I graduated high school, my grandfather, God bless him, he gave me a Bible. He gave me one of those green padded living Bibles. That was the big deal then. Wrote an inscription in the front of it, gave me that Bible. And I remember getting it. I'm a senior in high school, about to tackle into the world. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's really what I need. Sorry. That's what I thought. And I put it up. I honored it because my grandfather wrote in it. I never, it never, I didn't throw it away. It, it was always in the house, but I never read it, never picked it up, never turned a page till the day I got saved. Then I went and read his inscription and said, well, came to pass. And then I began to read the Bible, and then it became alive to me, and I read through it, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. Because I, when I got saved, I didn't have anything to unlearn, and I, I just took the word and said, my gosh, this is the word of God. I never read it. And as I read it, it was as if the Bible was written and delivered to me. And so I received the word with, by faith. I just received everything it said. Everything. I didn't doubt anything. But so many people today, they're doubting the word of God. And if you're in a position where you're doubting the word of God, well, then I want to tell you something. You're not going to receive anything from heaven. Because just like John said, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Lamb of God. That's the Son of God. I saw the Holy Spirit follow him just like that. And if you just, oh, John, you know, I don't know. He's strange to himself, come up out of the wilderness wearing that old camel skin turned upside down and rubbing himself, and he's strange and eating locusts and wild honey. I mean, who does that? That's ridiculous. Right? Talked him right out of it. Talked him right out of this. Being able to follow Jesus in that day, all right, literally follow Jesus in that day, they, they got talked out of it. Because they let doubt and unbelief come in there. It's an amazing thing to just be simple-minded and read your Bible and believe it's true. It's a great blessing. It is a great, great, great blessing. But now I want to get back to the blood. So the Passover was about the blood of the Lamb, right? And then Isaiah's prophesying the Lamb that was slain was then his blood was going to redeem all of mankind, right? Then John stands up and says, there's the Lamb of God right there, right? Now look at this. Go to Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, okay? Again, this whole, this whole concept. Of the Passover lamb saved us from the death angel. Saved us from the death angel being the, the death of our sins that kept us away from God. Followed Isaiah 53 saying he's coming. John saying he's here. And Paul saying that's the blood that redeemed us from our sins. Right? Okay, look down at verse 20. For which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of in heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion. 
and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. All right? Now I want you to go to the book of Revelation, chapter 5. I said all of that to get to this chapter. You may say, preacher, you took a long way around to get to this thing. Okay, now let me just set this scene. And let me say this before you get into it. I'm not here tonight to argue end-time eschatology. Don't get off on that. What I'm trying to get you to understand tonight is the power of the blood of Jesus. All right? That's the point I'm trying to make, the power of the blood of Jesus that's for each and every one of us. All right? But in this scene that's getting ready to start right here, in chapter 5, if my, if my understanding is correct, all right, and I'm not going to argue over this matter, but don't turn me off. If you don't agree with me, let me finish tonight and then think about it. The rapture of the church should have taken place. And chapter 5 starts, and it starts out this way. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, so who is him sitting on the throne? Be the Father, right? God the Father, sitting on the throne. And there was a scroll. In his right hand. And then it said he was written inside and on the back. It was written on the inside and the back. I don't know how you knew it was written on the inside, but whatever. It was on the inside and on the back. And then it had seven seals on it. Then I saw, look at this. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. When I read that, I mean, I kind of got off because I got to thinking, well, am I right? There's little dumpy angels. And then there's strong angels, you know, but if he said a strong angel, then I'm going to say he was a humdinger, right? Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals? And no one in heaven, check it out here, look. No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scrolls. Who'd be under the earth? It'd be the devil and all his cohorts, right? So in other words, uh, the angel is crying and saying, who's worthy to come up to God Almighty, the Father, sitting on the throne, reach up and take the scroll out of his right hand Who's worthy to do that? And they said, man, everybody was quiet. Nobody in heaven. So no angel was going to do this. The strong angel wasn't going to touch it. Gabriel, Michael, whoever, they weren't going to touch it. Nothing, nobody on earth. I can understand that. But nobody even under the earth, even the devil and all of his cohorts, there was nobody that could even look at it. Okay. And no one in heaven or on earth, under the earth, was look able to open the scroll or to look at it. (laughs) 
I don't know why when I was reading that, they just leaped off. I was like, can't even look at it? So he's got the, here, I'll let this be my scroll. He's got the scroll in his hand, and he's sitting there, and I don't know, what did John do? Just glance up? Oh, he's got a scroll in his hand. Because he said nobody was able to look at it. And then, you know, the loud angel, and everybody's, everybody's just freaking out. And it's nobody, he says, they can't even look at it. And I'm thinking, man, that's something in the hand of the, of the Father, right? So it says then, so I wept much. So God the Father, let's listen to me. Oh, man, there it is. I just saw it, something else. So God the Father's got something in his hand he wants to give you. God has got something in his hand he wants to pour out to you. You're his child, he loves you. He's got something right here in his hand that's so powerful, nobody else can really even look at it because it's not for them, but it's for you. And it's so powerful that it's all for you. The ticket's there. God's got it in his hand. And John wept, weeps because no one was found worthy to open it or read it or deliver it to you. Oh, my goodness. And then he says, or even to look at it. But then one of the elders comes up and says, I don't weep, no cry. Yeah, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. So listen, let me ask you this. This is so good. I, I mean, I'm getting revelation as I'm saying this to y'all. I'm so glad I preached this tonight for myself. I can see this like I've never seen this before. Just think about this. Was the scroll just written? Or had it always been in the palm of the Father's hand wanting to be delivered to the people, but there was no one that could get it to them? So the whole time that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was going to the cross, the whole time Jesus is going through everything, Jesus had seen the Father sitting in the throne with the scroll. So he's motivated in everything he's doing. He said, I got to go to heaven and get that scroll and open up that scroll for all the people. I got to get that, I got to get that blessing out of the Father's hand down and just be able to distribute to the people. And there ain't nobody can do it. Nobody on earth, nobody in heaven, nobody under the earth. And I looked and behold, and in the midst of the throne of the 24 living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. Now, folks, I want to tell you all something. I just had one of my ewes have a, have a lamb. And there's, a, a lamb is right above a rabbit. I mean, they were defenseless. There was nothing there for them. They got nothing. They got no teeth. They got no horns. They can't run that fast. They are defenseless. Only thing I can think of less defenses would be a rabbit. And that's how Jesus is standing there is the lamb. But you got to understand something. It's not the weakness of a lamb. It's the power of the Passover lamb that's saving everyone. It's not a little weak lamb. It is the Passover lamb that stops the death angel from coming in. Oh, my goodness. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Look here. 
And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. There was no, there was like, can I have it, please? He walked up and he took it out and said, no, I paid the price for all of them. And what's in your hand needs to go to the people. What's in your hand needs to be distributed out. So then he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of the incense, which are what? The prayers of the saints. So Jesus takes out of the hand of the Father the word for us because his blood paved the way for us. And he takes out the out of the hand the word for us from the Father. And then there's all this prayer mixed in there. So I set before you tonight, here's the answer, and there's all the prayers of the saints going up, and here is the answer in the hand of God the Father. Jesus goes up, takes it out, and then distributes it over and answers all the prayers. Why? Because he paid the way. Said all authority had been given him. There's nobody the more powerful than Jesus. Why? Because he paid the price. Because he was the Passover lamb who paid the price for each and every one of us. His blood's been poured out for you. So all your prayers going up to heaven are answered because Jesus has the authority to take right out of the Father's hand whatever is needed for you. And he says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals. For you were slain, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe out of every tongue and people in every nation and then you made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign over the earth now I looked at that one time and, and studied that out I really believe the proper translation would be a kingdom of priests is what I really think it means rather than kings and priests I think it really if you look at it and you 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 looked at the way it was written I think that a real good translation would be that he made us a kingdom of priests because we're ministering to the Lord and doing his bidding on this earth, okay? But it doesn't really make any difference either way you want to look at it. But the point here is, why all of a sudden did we have prayers that were, prayers that were um, just being held in a bowl to prayers that God answered all because of the blood and what Jesus did for us. So the next time the devil wants to come and harass you, the next time the devil wants to come and bother you, the next time the devil wants to come up and say anything, you have to remind him of what the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Passover lamb has already done for you. And that the death angel's already been stopped. Your sins have already been forgiven because you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. He has no foothold. He has no place in your life that he can come to and get into your life. That you can't say, no, you have to stop because my King Jesus is the only one who has the power to take the scroll out of the Father's hand. He's the only one 
that has the power to take the answer out of the Father's hand and bring it to me. Now, <clears throat> one last thing. So Hebrews 7 says, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. Now, can you imagine the craziness of this? It's not enough to redeem you. It's not enough to pay for your sins. It's not enough to, 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 to put his blood out there and keep the devil from ever messing with you. It's not enough that he said, I'll be with you all the time. It's not enough that he said, I'd, I'll go before you and behind you. And it's not enough to say he'd give you goodness and mercy all the days of your life. It's not enough that he said, when your enemies come, just sit down here at the table and let's have a drink. And I want to fill your cup till it overflows. It's not enough. He said, you know what? Don't worry, I'm going to be praying for you. So listen to this, folks. If Jesus has the, is the only one that can walk up to the Father and take the scroll out of his hand, then how could we doubt that when we're in a relationship with Jesus that he doesn't have enough power to get the job done? That's why John said in 1 John 5.14, this is the confidence that we have, that anything we ask the Father, he's heard it. He's moving on it. Why? The lamb's standing right there. Or the lion, however you want to look at it. So don't think anymore about Jesus as a lamb of God as a little, tender, defenseless lamb. Think about Jesus as a lamb of God, as the Passover lamb that has the power to redeem all the world. It's a powerful thing. Amen? So I just challenge you, take these scriptures, go look at it for yourself, just start reading them. Let, let the Holy Ghost just start building in you about the blood of Jesus and what he's done for you. Man, quit listening to the devil. Quit listening to fear. Quit listening to doubt and unbelief. Quit listening to all that junk. And start listening to what the blood of Jesus is saying about you. And all I can say is I am glad that I am on his side. Amen? Because when he starts breaking seals and starts coming back and all of that, man, it isn't good for people who don't believe. But I'm glad to know the blood of Jesus got us covered. Amen? So if you're out there watching tonight and you don't know Jesus, you don't know about anything I'm talking about is blood, listen to me right there. You just need to stop. I need you to ask yourself the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that when he arose from the dead that he showed forth he was the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah, that he is the Lamb of God who died for your sins? And if you do, you say, I do. I believe, Jesus, you died for my sins. Well, then right there, call upon him. Right wherever you are, just call out and say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be a part of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. And he will. He'll touch you right wherever you are. He's that great. He is the line of the tribe of Judah. Amen? Amen. Well, stand up. Look at the person beside you and say, he's got you covered. And let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you tonight as I've shared this word, as I've delivered this message. Lord, I know there's more there. I can just see that we even like scratch the surface. But I just declare that these people are going to hear this word. They're going to go home. They're going to continue to study. Holy Spirit, you're going to continue to open it up. It's going to become more and more and more alive. And to everyone, there's going to be a revelation about this, about the blood, about what you've done.
And so, Lord, I praise you for it. I thank you for it. And I ask you tonight to seal this message within us. Seal it down in our hearts. Don't ever let us forget about the power of the blood of Jesus. And, Lord, as I declare tonight that his people, man, as they cry out for the blood, that they're, they're healed, they're saved, they're delivered, their crazy minds are set straight, Lord, you begin to just do miracles in our midst. And, Lord, we give you all the praise for it. I ask you to bless them. I ask you to bless their hands and everything that it touches. I ask you to bless their businesses, their finances. And, Lord, as we go forth, Lord, that we can do a major, major work as we are a kingdom of priests for you. And, Lord, we just want to do everything we can. And so, Lord, I thank you for it. Bless them now, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.